You're listening to the Longbox Crusade Podcast, Episode 35, featuring Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, number two, cover dated May 1981. Welcome to the 35th episode of the Long Box Crusade. I am your host, Jason Albrecht, a.k.a. The Weasel Stall. The Long Box Crusade is a podcast where each episode, a random cover month and year is chosen. And then an issue is selected from one of the Long Box Crusade crew members' comic collection. Each episode, we will summarize, review, and reminisce about the issue, ads, and events of that time period. Joining me for this episode is Jared Ulbrich, the yard sale artist. Jared, what's your current crusade in 10 words or less? I never stick to the 10 words rule, but uh, all right. I will try my 10 words rules. You're done. Thank you, Jared. Moving on to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bullet train, novel, further adventures of Indiana Jones, collected, fancy. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I got to take another trip over to your house uh, and, and score some of those fancy uh, hardbacks when you're not looking at And I think depleted. Pet, DJ Cristado Samson, what are your current crusade in 10 words or less? It's hard for me to count and talk at the same time. <laughs> hey, you're done. Hey, you're done. <laughs> Home you? improvements work. Oh, there you Painting go. Walls. Painting walls. Painting walls. Home improvement work. Follow-up right, question, yeah. what color? Primer right now, white. But then it will be uh, like a creamish color. But we're actually putting up shiplap. So I don't know if you know what that is, where it's boards and it's kind of multicolor we got. So it's kind of cool pattern. Never heard of it. Yeah, I don't know how you could ask a simple question that you could answer in one word. <laughs> I was a, like, a whole what color? Rambling and he was like, and still not get the answer to your question. <laughs> he was like, primer. Kind of creamish, shiplap, multicolor. Like, what? I you still know, don't know the answer. Projector. I still don't know the answer. That's how I am. I got a whip wop prime it. <laughs> like, what? I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, you know, all teasy to side, we don't have Delvin today, but we have a double dose of Jason. We've got Jason Lady. Jason, welcome to our podcast. Thank you thank for having you. me. Oh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for pinch hitting and Ten words or less. What's your uh, current crusade? Sure. So I have the Marvel Unlimited uh, app. I have a subscription to that. And I'm always discovering new things on there I've never read before. What I've been reading yesterday and a little bit today is uh, MC2. I think it's uh, Marvel Comics 2, where it was like set a few years in the future. And so it has like the children of the Avengers. So there's American Dream, who's the daughter of Steve Rogers and Sharon Carter. And a kid named uh, J2, who's the son of the Juggernaut. There's a bunch of like legacy uh, superheroes like that who are rising up to be a new generation. It's uh, a lot of it's written by Tom DeFalco and drawn by Ron Friends, so it's a great time. It's really old school feel, and I'm having a lot of fun reading it. And that wasn't quite ten words. Sorry, spot on. It was spot on ten. <laughs> yeah. I counted. I was right at ten. All right, <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it, Jason. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the MC2 universe though. That was like uh, mm-hmm. late '90s. Yeah, uh, Spider Girl was the big, uh, I think, yeah, standout. The from breakout. It. You, yeah, you snuck around. Yeah, the rest of it didn't really. Which is a shame. There's some fun concepts in there. 
to bring some of that back. Yeah, I, but the thing I remember most about Spider Girls, they were like, okay, we're going to cancel it. And then, like, they got a ton of letters and they're like, okay, we're not going to cancel it. And yeah. like a year later, they're like, okay, we're canceling it. And they're like, okay, we're not going to cancel it. It was always on the precipice. And the, the fans saved it like, I don't know, a dozen times or something. Star Trek, the original series of it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> kept, kept getting brought back by a popular demand. Hey, welcome to MC2 Cast. I'm Jared. This is my co host, Jason Lady. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go. Uh, we did Spider Girl, didn't we? Yeah. That was Delvin's. We did. Mm-hmm. It was one of Delvin's picks. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was okay. fun, too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was That's good. one I have to read. Yeah. Yeah, I've never read that. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we invite all the listeners to be a part of the show by submitting your comments and memories, which will be read later on in the show. All links and pictures for this episode are in the show notes, which can be found at the website longboxcrusade.com. Please add the podcast to your favorite podcast feed or on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Longbox Crusade. We hope you come along with us on this crusade to read them all. Now, before we get started with the episode issue review, let's take a quick podcast promo break and we will be right back. Hey, everybody. Clinton Robinson here. I recently attempted to sneak into the Longbox Crusade headquarters basement to watch some of the Albrecht Brothers action movies while the crew was out at the Saturday matinee theater. Too bad I had a little mishap. And got stuck down here. With no movies to boot. However, there are pieces of Pat's old podcasting equipment and excellent Wi-Fi service. So I decided to pass the time watching online fan films and talking about them. What, you don't know what a fan film is? Well, there are these non-theatrical movies that people post online of already established characters and settings. Hey, hey, hey now. Just wait and see. Save all judgment for what happens when you listen to Fan Film Fridays, a new podcast found on the Longbox Crusade podcast feed. Welcome back from the break. Today's adventure from the Longbox is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, number two, cover dated May 1991. Credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics website. Publisher was Dark Horse. Cover date, May 1991. On sale date was May 28th, 1991. Cover price was $2.50. Editor was Mike Richardson. Writer, William Mesner-Lebs. Writer-penciler, Dan Barry. Anchor, Carl Kessel. Letterer, Gail Beckett. And colorist, Laureen Haynes. Cover credits go to a little-known artist called Dave Dorman. And these covers are Fantastic. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we do that, I should probably turn it over to a cover description by Jared. I've got you covered. (laughs) (laughs) That joke before. Cover me, Jared. In my life. Okay, let's talk about this gorgeous Dave Dorman cover. It is quite simple. It has a sort of fire and ice theme, if you will. It's got a bold blue background as Indy dangles on a rope over some fire, molten lava, maybe molten something, who knows. But the Indiana Jones font is yellow with black highlights, as is Fate of Atlantis, which goes nicely per the color wheel with blue, by the way. Stands out well. And again, Dave Dorman has painted this beautiful, beautiful moment of Indy dangling in danger with fire below, ice behind. And if you look really carefully, which... I had to because I didn't notice it the first time because I read it digitally. 
there's a frozen body in the ice behind Indy, which is actually a plot point in the story. Guys, it's painted. It's Dorman. I've had the great pleasure of meeting Mr. Dorman a couple of times, and this cat is so talented. It hurts. It's a wonderful cover. If you're listening to the podcast version, you're not watching with us because we have it on the screen right now. If you listen to the podcast version, go just go look at it. Google Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis number two. Give a look at that, Dave Dorman. Goodness. Now on to the synopsis. The title is The Fate of Atlantis Part 2. After getting ambushed and shot in the shoulder by a bunch of undercover Nazis, Indy decides to embark upon an expedition with his former colleague, Sophie Hapgood, to search for the lost city of Atlantis. If for no other reason than to warn his fellow archaeologists who served on the expedition, Indy and Sophie journey to Iceland, the Azores, and the ruins of an ancient Mayan civilization in the Yucatan, discovering clues and artifacts along the way. Following yet another clue to Leningrad, Indy and Sophie are beset upon by the evil Nazi Colonel Kerner and his men. Our heroes manage to fight their way free, but lose the artifacts in their possession. The last clue, however, ironically points to an object stored right under Indiana Jones' nose at Barnett College. Question number one, and I'm going to give it to our guest Jason Lady here, is what do you think about the story? So I read the backstory of this series and how it was adapted from a video game. The crux of it was them trying to think of a story, uh, the creators trying to think of a story where Indy's on a quest with an object that's worthy of Indiana Jones. It's like on the same scale as the Lost Ark. It's on the same scale as the Holy Grail. You know, I think they nailed that, you know, trying to find the location and the secrets of Atlantis, you know, great job. You know, that's a great pick. So I think as far as like the quest and kind of what Indy's after, great stuff. That's a really intriguing mystery. And, uh, you know, it's worthy of Indiana Jones's uh, pedigree, shall we say, as a adventurer. I like how the story uh, mirrors kind of the, the globe-trotting adventure feel that you'd get from the movies, including the map with the dotted lines where the airplane is going, location to location. I love that they put that in there. I thought that was a really cool touch. I think as far as uh, supporting characters, I like Sophie. I think she's a good partner for Indy. She's kind of in the mold of Marion Ravenwood, where she's just sassy, and she's feisty, and she's tough. She has that kind of weird kind of spiritual side to her that Indy's, you know, kind of leery of. I like their banter back and forth, her and Indy. Uh, at one point, she calls him a clod. She makes fun of his hat. Uh, at one point, she asks him if he's antisocial, and he says, only around you. <laughs> so this is a good, uh, snappy kind of pulp adventure dialogue. Another thing I liked about it in terms of a side character is the use of Marcus Brody. I've always thought that in The Last Crusade, they made him a little too much of a goofball, kind of the comic relief. And I thought that was really unfortunate. If you look at him in Raiders, you can kind of see a guy who maybe was an adventurer like Indiana Jones when he was younger and now is kind of in more of an administrative role, but was still someone to be taken seriously. And uh, I like that this story didn't really make him into a goofball or a clown or comic relief. He was a very serious kind of solid sidekick to Indy. And his dialogue, I could hear the actor, uh, Denholm Elliott, rest in peace. I can hear him saying those lines. So I thought that was really well done. But good pulp adventure stuff. The seaplane, the escape from the geothermal vent, the secret tomb with the weird skeleton and the alligator pit, Nazi secret agents dogging their every step. I mean, 
this is all good stuff. This is all right in the Indiana Jones mold. So just to kind of uh, wrap up a little bit, two things. I would say, one, it got a little confusing at some point. So all these names being thrown around, like Thor's called and Steinhardt and Hector Arribe. I was kind of losing track of who was who and how it all connected a little bit, uh, the thread of it. And then there's a great fight at the end. And maybe once we look at the artwork, uh, we might bring up uh, <laughs> that panel. But there's a really good uh, fight at the end where they just, you know, just totally beat up the Nazi agents that I really enjoy that everybody gets a, a lick in. So those are my thoughts on the story. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I think an Indiana Jones adaptation is tough because you don't have the John Williams music. You don't have the stunt work. You don't have the Steven Spielberg, you know, direction going for you. I thought this was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Let's pass it over to Pat and see if he, there's anything that he wants to add. Having brought this for Crusademus, issue number one, like I think a few years back it was, um, when I brought the issue number one back, you know, I'm a homer for Indiana Jones, so I was all in on this one. Again, look at that cover, too. Let's talk about the cover on this one. Just another beautiful cover on this one that I really enjoyed. And Elburn Elvis had mentioned that it kind of looked distressed. And I think he's right. Getting that look on that cover again, the distressness of it made it look like an Indiana Jones, you know, used up and sitting around, rolled up and just kind of hanging out all dusty. Look to that cover and just. Like Jared said, too, it took me a little bit to look at that cover and go, oh, wait, there's a frozen guy in there just kind of holding that idol or the thing that they were looking for in his hands like that. I thought it was really neat to see. Going back to the story, beyond issue number one, that was really set up for that one. For issue this issue, number two, lots of action in this one. Lots of globe trotting around. Uh, you know, it's basically had all you of your Indiana Jones tropes and things you want to see happening in here. And I think this would be one that would have liked to see turned into like a little mini series or, you know, I want to say a movie, but it, it could on its own probably stand out to be that way. But even just like a little, little series uh, would have been kind of neat to see having played the computer game that this is based off of still have it. The game that it was all based off of. That's some dope box art. I like that. I know. This is, you got to keep this stuff, you know, it's really cool. So it was really cool to see that turned into a comic book at the same time for the hype of the game and all that. So really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Pat. You know, just for, for folks to know, Pat did bring this to Crusade Miss a couple of years back. And that's really what uh, I happened to be at the comic book store and saw that they had the complete series. And I was like, hey, I really like that issue one. So let me buy up the series. And cool. when it came my turn to pick a comic, I said, let's let's continue reading The Fate of Atlantis. So that's what brings us here today. But we still got to listen to Jared's input. Jared, we've heard tales about uh, how we like the tropes, the journey going from uh, location to location to location. We've heard uh, got a little bit confusing with all the characters and locations. I agree with that one a hundred percent. Anything to add from your perspective? Just a little actually, most everything's been covered, but yeah, just a concurrence on all those things. Like it got to the point where I just kind of stopped caring about the names. Like I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to watch Indy go through the motions. The only thing that kind of bugged me is, and I even went back to look to see if this, story had been given a year like it takes place in x year because it bugs me that like she'll talk about sort of fantastical or spiritual elements and he'll be like poppycock and i'm like you've seen a guy take another guy's heart out and the guy with the heart out healed right up 
<laughs> and was still alive while his heart was be- like seriously <laughs> any all this other stuff is poppycock to you indy like you've seen something <laughs> yeah he's seen the ark of the covenant like, he's, seen, uh, he's seen the he's holy seen, grail healed his dad yeah, right? yeah i was yeah. like <laughs> yeah. come on man it's, you've seen weirder yeah right, just leave it at that's kind it, of an indie trope that he maintains that skepticism no matter what. It's like, come it, on, man. <laughs> it kind of becomes a, uh, a Harrison Ford trope in a way because I had the same same kind of complaint about, well, it, it's because they expanded the universe. But remember the original Star Wars? He was like, force, whatever. But then, like, they added prequels and then Indy's backstory. Like, you've seen you've seen all this stuff before. Like, <laughs> and all of a sudden in 1977's version, he's like, what? What a bunch of poppycock all this is, you know? And it's uh, <laughs> so it's a Harrison Ford trope to me at this point. That is the most minor of nitpicks. It's it's a breezy adventure. I like just watching them go from point A's to point B's using the conveyances of the time. And one yeah, thing yeah. I'm struggling with, by the way, is I am reading the further adventures Marvel at the same time as this. So I'm conflating some of it in my, <laughs> in uh, my head sure. too. The two stories are blending, but I just thought it was neat. They obviously put a lot of care into being accurate with how people got around in the time frame. So I, I thought that was neat. I like the conveyances. You know, Delvin probably never saw him. You know, that's his whole thing. But uh, aside from that, uh, yeah, I agree with everybody else. Good, breezy, fun story. So it sounds like overall we're all pretty much in agreement. Story's pretty solid. Lots of uh, the Indiana Jones tropes that we want to see packed into this issue. Maybe a little too much. But uh, let's talk about the art a little bit. Uh, what do we think of the art? That's the other main ingredient that goes into a comic book. And Jason, we'll start it off with you again. What are your thoughts? I had to look up who Dan Barry was. Uh, I wasn't familiar with his work, but once I read about him, I was the history this guy has and all the stuff that he's worked on is pretty incredible. A longtime Flash Gordon comic strip artist, I believe. Once I read that about him after reading the comic, I was like, okay, that all kind of fits. And I see yeah. why they picked him to do this because it's kind of like cliffhanger serial adventure style you know this guy has down he did the fashions the cars the planes the look of the tomb and the temple that the tomb is in were all really well done those seemed like very true to the time period i didn't go and look but you know i'm assuming that they are they definitely look like they fit in there's nothing anachronistic that jumped out at me or anything like that I love the depiction of the tomb when uh, Indy and Sophie are walking into it and Indy has a torch and it's just lit by torchlight and you can see all the carvings on the walls and the shadows. It just looked really eerie and really cool. You can kind of hear that John Williams music, you know, like when they're going to the Well of the Souls, just kind of menacing and mysterious. So I thought that was pretty cool. The artwork veered into cartoony territory a little bit a few times, some of the body poses and facial expressions. And that threw me a little bit because I kind of expect something a little more realistic with the Indiana Jones world. And there were a couple examples in there where I was like, huh, that seems a little more, I don't know, something you'd see in uh, something more cartoony than this. At first, I was a little thrown off by Indy not looking a whole lot like Harrison Ford for a lot of it. But then I thought about like the old Marvel Star Wars comic and how like I think it was Al Williamson was really the only one who did a flat on this looks like Harrison Ford because he only did limited installments. I think he did like six issues of Empire Strikes Back adaptation, for example, and that was it. I think it could be really tough to like do comic after comic after comic. You know, have the characters you're drawing look like the actors and actresses. So I'm willing to give that a pass because none of the other Star Wars Marvel Comics artists really were able to do that either. But it did throw me a little bit. I was like, doesn't it really look like Harrison Ford a couple of times? But after a while, I got into it and I enjoyed it. 
we talked about that the last time was the likeness of Indy was probably, as Albert and Alvarez mentioned in the chat, that it, you know, it could be a licensing issue. But you can definitely tell, I'm going back to that sweet cover on the Dorman cover, it really looks like Harrison Ford on that yeah. cover. My instinct, you know, having done a little work behind the scenes, wink, wink, is that they probably got likeness rights from Harrison Ford's people for covers. Yeah. Mm. And probably not for interiors. Kind of uh, like we talked about with the Marvels. Yeah. I don't think they had his likeness rights for those. And that's why he's always generic. But yeah, I think it's a likeness rights issue more so than an artist issue. I, I that's my suspicion. That. that makes a lot of sense. And you're right about the cover. I was like, you know, clearly there's a photo reference going on for some of those indie covers that I've seen. Because I could remember like the photo that that's, you know, maybe copied or painted from yeah. you know, based on. And so I kind of wondered if the cover was him being l- lowered into the well of the souls. We're just thinking that too, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I suspect you're right, yeah. As I looked at all four covers, I think they obviously photo referenced from the movies. Issue one is from Temple of Doom. Two is the Well of the Souls. I think uh, there's the one that was from the Raider scene uh, from the market where he's holding the pistol. They're all photo referenced. This one, I, I was really impressed by it, though, because they managed to take that photo reference and still with the body frozen in the ice and the colors and having the geothermal thing, they still managed to tie it into what actually happens uh, in the mm-hmm. comic, which I thought was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. They adapted it. Anyway, Pat, why don't you uh, why don't you continue on and uh, expand upon your thoughts on the, the art in the book? It's uh, interesting that Jason brought up that it was a Flash Gordon artist before. So now, when I look at this, I can picture that kind of timely serialized art that's going on here, and uh, you know, along with the colors. I think really looked nice. You know, they really spent some time and detail on this as well. And with the inker as well, you have Carl Kissel doing the inks on this. Man, it looks amazing. Just just the backgrounds on this, because of the areas that they go to, you know, I think there's like three different locations or more, three or four different, like, I want to say world or, but just, you know, different locations that they're in is amazing. And then when they get into the tomb or area like that and just oh uh, the skeletons in that when they opened up that and see the skeleton guy there oh that's a lot of ink work don't you think jared definitely yeah yeah like you said carl's the master so it's it's very crisp in this yeah so i really really enjoy this one and just brings me back to that whimsical fun kind of just breezy light read i thought it was gonna read some of it last night and then read the rest of it today but i got again, further into this book because I was just so intrigued and just the artwork just helps move it along. And you can just feel the Indiana Jones-ness in this, you know, (laughs) I guess is the way to say it. It's like watching them build the story art, you know, how they would film the movies with the story through the artwork that they use. Yeah, I'm a sucker for Star Wars and Indiana Jones when you could buy the VHS tape of how it was made and, you know, big hour back and and they would show you the script, somewhat of the script and the story, and how they would then take that and turn it into what's on the film. Man, just the storyboard process. You mean yeah, the storyboard yeah. process through the artist and all that. Just to see this is like, man, I wish they would make this into a movie or even just a cartoon. Getting Harrison to do a, his voice or someone close to it would be really cool. We'll see what Jared has to say. Jared, why don't you wrap us up here as we talk about art? 
I was kind of being alluded to it uh, before when we were talking licensing issues, but I just kind of want to be clear. Like I did some Marvel cards, you know, the trading cards for upper deck and we would get notes like we needed Iron Man. And it would actually say in there, if you have him helmet off, he cannot look like Robert Downey Jr. Type of deal. Cause it's all of that kind of licensing thing. So I just kind of want to be specific instead of vague. So that's kind of how it works. So we would get notes like that. Hey, do a Hawkeye, but he can't look like Jeremy Renner. Right. So I think that's what's going on here. But this art, and I'm really glad Jason did the background on the artist to find out he was a comic strip artist from the Flash Gordons because I was loving this art. I love this art so much. I texted my brother, the Weasel Skull, a few days ago. I was reading. I was like, this art is just, it's awesome. It's just dope. dope. It is amazing. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why, but Jason Lady brought the great factoids there, which really gave me the perspective because I'm like, okay, so if he's doing Flash Gordon art, that's what I clicked. It's got an old school feel. It's got a 40s, 50s feel. And Indiana Jones is a 40s, 50s character. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, this is why I'm feeling it. It's that perfect mesh of that art style. And it's one of its best forms. I mean, it's so, like Pat was saying, it's so intricate and crisp and clear and clean. And Jason is correct. It does get into the comical uh, realms at some point but I'm, i'll give it that budge because it is 40s 50s and again we have a 40s 50s character so i just thought it was a, a, just a real good mesh of artist with storyline when it takes place so I, I can't say enough about the art in this when i looked at it, i was just i was in awe of it it's very high ranking for me well i think we've uh, gone around the horn and talked about the art overall i think very positive we all liked it jared I believe the next segment is yours. Yes, indeed. So if we went to a comic convention and uh, Mr. Dan Barry was there with all of his original artwork for this book and you could have just but one page of it, what is your favorite page of art from this book? I see folks flipping through it feverishly trying to figure it out, figure it out. The only one who looks confident is Mr. Jason Lady. Jason, what are you going with? <laughs> I did some prep work <laughs> before I uh, came to see you guys today. <laughs> it's funny, I'm making fun of them because they're flipping their copies. I have it digitally, so I'm scrolling like a madman off to the right. <laughs> the right. But I've already figured out I have my primary and then I have a secondary in case everybody picks my primary. So go ahead, Jason. All right. Well, it's a little bit of a cheat because I mentioned it earlier, but the page and not even so much even the rest of the page, but that big panel where kind of the semi-silhouetted forms of Indy and Sophie and the other guy whose name escapes me are walking into the tomb. They've managed to figure out how to open up the door. They're just like, whoa, you know, looking around. But you're seeing them from the back. It's all lit by the single torch that Indy is holding. You're seeing the light and the shadow play off all the weird old carvings. That is a beautiful piece of artwork. I think black and white or colored, it would probably work. To have that and to be able to put that in a nice frame somewhere, you know, in my home, that would be very cool. So that's what I would pick right there. And that's a quintessential Indiana Jones adventure image right there. Love it. Love it. Let's keep going around the horn. Take it to Pat DJ Christados. I am going to go with the page, two pages after that, where they're kind of in the same area. It's them looking into that creepy skeleton guy with the horns and mm-hmm. and then the tomb opens up and it starts to move and then they fall down into that the pit where the alligators are you can see them falling down there hopefully hindi's gonna help break the fall for sophie there so <laughs> i can't help but notice that much. he probably would have made the jump to that ledge if she hadn't been on his back <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not but, sure how they got through that with no broken bones, but that's a, yeah, of the chakra. Stone floor, was, bam. Yeah. <laughs> they said, you know, well, it, it wasn't that far of a fall, so yeah, they did uh, I'll that. give them that. But yeah. still, that's still got to be kind of scary where, you know, the floor moves away from you and you're... Yeah. Before I pass it to Jason, Max Traver said something over on Facebook. He said, set pieces are key for adventure stories. So Nars, that can pull those off as essential. And I can't agree more. You know, with an Indiana Jones story, just getting the the environment right is so key. So great comment from Max. I wanted to point that out. Especially, yeah, like you said, in the, this kind of an adventure, the set pieces and all that, it's a character in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And we'll pass it to Jason. What page are you going to take? I'm going to be unoriginal and take the same page that Pat chose, page 19. I think it really just encapsulates everything that's really cool about an Indiana Jones adventure. One of the things I really like about it is that silhouette. There's a panel in there where they're just silhouetted and just seeing the silhouette of Indy in the hat, seeing the mysterious, creepy little skeleton dude. And then that last panel where they're just falling into the unknown into the dark unknown to me that sums up everything that's great about an indiana jones cliffhanger in that one page so i'm gonna mimic pat on this one i will bring it home i'm gonna pull a pat here i'm gonna give two actually honorable mention is going to be when they arrive in i want to say it's south america they're on horseback it's page 15 ish they're on horseback oh yeah yeah yeah. that's looking down like the the architectural drawings uh of the buildings the ruins is probably the better word plus uh, well-drawn horses well-drawn people that's my honorable mention my a number one though is going to be the last page where indy whips a guy in the face <laughs> Whip, like that guy's gonna, got a scar you know he does you know if i'm gonna take one page out of any adventure i want to see somebody hit, getting hit with a whip right so it's really the top panel that's killer. It, yeah, Pat's got it on screen there. And he's been knocked yeah. down. He's, he's whipping from the hip, basically. He's laying on Correct. the ground, whipping a guy in the face with a machine gun. Like, if I'm going to have an indie page, I'm going to need some indie action. So, yeah. So, they go wrong with a good whip and whip to the face. Whip to the face is yeah. always good. And just because I did the work ahead of time, there's a panel in the book, but it's the one where he gets blown out of the geyser. I've put it on screen Ooh, yeah, right now, which I like to title cool. After Taco Bell. That's what it's like. <laughs> if you put that lens on it, it takes a whole new meaning. That's going to be me after they bring back that Mexican pizza, man. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you on the podcast that aren't here, he's being blown out of a geyser by a yellowish brownish <laughs> liquid. He's about six feet. Well, no, he's more like 12 feet in the air. <laughs> we've all and been there, Indy. We've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there. Oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Max just found my uh, the title to my memoirs, Whip to the Face, a memoir by Jason Albrecht, Bear Fighter. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, like Devo said, when a problem comes along, you must, you must whip, whip, whip it. Whip it. <laughs> so I'm just, I am surprised there's four of us here and we three different page and I threw in an honorable mention and some silliness, but that just kind of shows you that it's kind of spread out in this book. The, the good art is found throughout. So thank you for letting me run my mouth, Jason. I was flipping through there because i got to thinking i don't remember seeing like one big splash page that yeah. we all gravitate to and to your point there's a lot of panels in this book but each panel is just carefully curated and looks really good in my humble opinion but anyway thank you for uh taking on that portion of the show jared and now we're going to take a walk down memory lane memories at the corner of my mind 
Misty colored memories. You don't even have to do any effects work, Pat. Jason, Jason's killing it. It's smooth, man. It's so smooth. So, Jason Lady, any memories that this comic brings up in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was published in 1991. I did not have this particular indie comic. I had others. I had the Iron Phoenix. I had the Spear of Destiny. I had some other indie comic books. I also collected the indie novel series by Rob McGregor, if you guys remember those. It was a time where Indiana Jones was everywhere. It was like the last crusade hit. That movie came out. And suddenly there was just Indiana Jones all over media. You had the comic books, you had the novels, and you had the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, I think, starting not too long after that. The video games, it was everywhere at that point. I was going from eighth grade to ninth grade at that point. I loved Indiana Jones. The Last Crusade was the first movie that I saw, the first Indiana Jones movie that I saw in the movie theaters. I was a little too young for the others when they came out. So I saw them out of order. I saw Last Crusade, then I saw the other ones after that. But I have special memories of seeing Last Crusade in the theater with my dad. And the fact that uh, it was about a father-son relationship just made that movie very uh, special to us. But to kind of go a little more broad, it's a memory of a time I was in eighth, ninth grade. I had this great group of friends at that point where we just watched movies together and ate junk food. Just like we could all walk to each other's houses. We live close enough to do that. So we just kind of stayed the night at each other's houses, played Nintendo. It was just a great time. And I remember watching those movies with those guys, as well as other friends I had later. Uh, Indiana Jones has always been, um, you know, a big series for me and some of my favorite movies of all time. So when he asked me to do this, I was like, heck yeah, <laughs> I'll read an indie comic I've never read before. I will also point out, too, that 1991, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Terminator mm-hmm. 2, those mm-hmm. movies were huge, huge. And so just thinking back to that time where we're watching those movies in the theaters, the marketing for both of them, Brian Adams is you know, singing on the radio, (laughs) everything I do, I do it for you. There's just a good feeling of nostalgia from that time for me. One year later, uh, my family would move to Germany. My dad was in the army and uh, he got stationed there uh, one more time there. So I did the rest of my high school years over there. But yeah, just really captures a particular time at Fort Knox, Kentucky with some particular group of friends. So Larry, Richard, Tyrone, John, if you're out there, hey guys, (laughs) how are you doing? Good times. Set your heart. Search your soul. <laughs> find me there. You search no more. You know we're gonna get flagged on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You guys think it too good. They get taken down by yeah. Brian Adams people. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Brian Adams contends he's gonna come after us. Yeah. Well, you know it's true. <laughs> you, oh, Pat, you, I hate you. <laughs> hey, I know we're in the middle of memory lane here, but. Auburn Novice did bring up a good point that I (laughs) meant to mention. I saw it too. Oh, Marcus. Jackpot. (laughs) For Marcus. (laughs) He found himself a Latina lady who was into him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He got sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) And you you can definitely see the actor portraying that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like this, portraying this really like, you know, stiff upper lip. British guy, you know, really up, kind of uptight and to be kind of put in that situation. You could just see him getting a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for reminding me on that, Auburn. That was, that, that was funny. That, that was part very had funny. Me, that that was. had me laughing. Anyway. Marcus Love Interest, yeah. Good for let's him. Get back on the, let's get back on the rails of memory lane here. Pat, give me some, some sweet, sweet memories of this time. Oh, boy. 1991. This came out in May. 
within less than a month's time, I'm graduating high school. As we talked before, well, like Jason, lady said that Indiana Jones brings back memories, especially like him. I remember going to see back in 89, uh, Last Crusade with my dad. Friends weren't available to go and I really wanted to go. And my dad really saw that I, I wanted to go. So he made the effort to come and take me to that movie. And being a father and son movie, every time I think about it, you know, it's, it's a special moment for me uh, and my dad. This being 1991, starting to get these books, as Jason mentioned, the novels that are out there. This game particular was out and I was playing it. And let me just give you what you needed to play this game. In 1991. You better have at least 32 megs of RAM. <laughs> well, it's a 386 processor. Which uh, everyone's phone is a better th- processor yes, than yeah, that these everyone's days. Everyone's <laughs> phone is way better than that. 640K, just for 640K of RAM required. Again, the phone you threw out before you bought your last phone. <laughs> yeah, more than that. <laughs> way more than way that. Way more than that. <laughs> And a CD-ROM, so you could get the voice. Your phone doesn't have that. Your phone doesn't have a CD-ROM. Yeah. No. Well, no, you got audio tracks on that. <laughs> does it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I can't download an app? No? <laughs> it's cool. So it's just playing those games and the other Indiana Jones games really brought back a fun time memories for him. And you made me want to pull out some of these games again, Jason, and I want to play these. Like I have the, the Last Crusade one, Infernal Machine. I even have like a desktop one up there where you play it on a little desktop. Remember when you had like desktop computer, you could play a little mini game on your little computer. <laughs> so tons of fun on this one. Tons of fun. They really need to make a, a modern like Indiana Jones game. Bring that back. The last one they made was like on Xbox One. I played the Emperor, it. Yeah. Emperor something. Yep. Tomb? Emperor's Emperor Tomb? Something like that. Roof. Emperors of Jade, Emperor, I don't I don't remember, but I beat it. And Jason's right. I think that was the last time they made one. I didn't know it had been that long. It's like the wow. Legos. Yeah, well, I got the Lego ones. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as like an original story, like with the success of the Tomb Raider franchise, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, just just make it Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's what the, the, the front right. machine was like. <laughs> you the, got the, 15 million uh, Tomb Raider games. Or, or what's the other one? What the heck are those games called? Uncharted. Uncharted, Uncharted games. So those are yeah. essentially Indiana Jones games, yeah. We're getting away from the memories. Let's get back on track with memories. Jared, I know you got some memories in 1991 and or Indiana Jones. Oh, you know, I do. It's funny how Jason Lady is departing for Germany. We are returning from, and so we're at the comic book shop in North Carolina. And I think I remember these coming across, you know, but this was Dark Horse and it was licensed, so it was like, they cover price. You read it earlier, Jason. It was like two fifty or something. Two fifty. I mean, how dare you? <laughs> what do I look like, Daddy Warbucks over here? I can't afford no, this right? comic. Marvel comics at the time, by for comparison, folks, their cover price was usually a dollar. So you know what? Instead of taking that memory, I'm going to take a more recent memory, going back about five years. I was going to a convention in Florida. Dave Dorman was the headliner. The convention sent me a little floor plan, and my table was going to be right next to Dave Dorman's. I thought, oh, that's really cool. I get to next to Dave Dorman, get to meet him, get to know him. And so I was looking at some of his art, and uh, my son, who was about 11 at the time, he was like, oh, that's, re- that's really cool. And then my wife took a trip to Colorado, to Denver, for work. While she was there, she's like, I got to go by the Mile High Comics, you know, because that's the thing you do when you get there. And so she went there and she actually hunted down this series of comics to buy for Jordan to take to the show to get signed 
by Dave Dorman. And Dave was very nice and spent a lot of time with 11, 10 or 11 year old Jordan signing his books and just being super nice to him. So I just want to turn this memory moment into a shout out to the kindness of Mr. Dave Dorman. And what a nice memory that we have from that. That's very cool. Man, that's awesome. I guess my memory would just be of Indiana Jones in general. You know, Indiana Jones is one of those characters up there with James Bond and the Star Wars crew that's just been with me since my childhood. It doesn't really matter that if you look at the amount of toys and video games and compare what Indiana Jones has had to what Star Wars has had, they roughly came out around the same time. I mean, it's not even close. Like Star Wars from a media perspective just blows it away. Yet somehow Indiana Jones still survives. He still hangs on. And every time he comes back in the theater, we all roll out to go go see him. So whenever I see an Indiana Jones comic book, it's a must have. Got to get it. It's just something that's ingrained within me. I remember when as a kid, even Jared and I used to play this game where I had a seashell like jewelry box. I don't even know. I remember it. I don't even remember. Red lighting. Red line seashell memory box. And then I had some fake gold coins. So this was always the treasure that we would hide from one another. Were they chocolate? Then, no, no they were, we would have like they chocolate had, coins. We <laughs> were a bunch of gold wrappers. Yeah, yes. wrappers. <laughs> in there, if that were the case. And so we would go and hide these things and pretend like we were Indiana Jones and like leave clues and stuff to go find it. I, it, it was even ridiculous. I'd, I'd even put like talcum powder inside of it you know so like when you closed it or open it there'd be like the old dust dust you know, like, would come out i remember that come out. <laughs> just, i mean it was just stupid it was ridiculous but that was the effect that indiana jones has on us and i think even now like whenever jared and i get together we inevitably go geocaching somewhere and that's that i think that's that spirit of indiana jones mm. finding that lost treasure just ingrained with within us so when i read these books that's what it just brought me back to that childhood. And all right, I have, I have an addendum. I have an addendum, Jason. Not only do we do all that, but Jason actually, I think we did this together because remember, I remember even part of it. Jason had like the storybook. Remember how you'd get the Indiana Jones yep. storybook? And this one was specifically, I want to say, for Temple of Doom. So you could read the story, but it was, you know, it was mostly pictures. But Jason went through, we went through together and made our own audiobook where Jason read it and we would add sound effects. Cause I can remember like when, when they're pouring the drink that has the poison in it, I remember pouring water from one cup to another so that the audio would pick that up. <laughs> and, and we had all these things laid out cause we knew, okay, we're going to need this out. And so I'm like doing sound effects while Jason's reading the story. So we had our own sound effect audio book for Indiana Jones. Yep. Yep. I remember. Cause I also remember we got in trouble because we were trying to do the whip sound and, we realized we could go to the tub and we had, we fill up a glass of water. And if you like whip that water into the tub, it, the splash make, kind of oh, makes it sound like a, a whip, sound. like yeah. a squish, you know? And so that's what we were doing. And I don't remember which of us did it. It was me. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> but, that is amazing. Was, <laughs> we did said, like, before I did that, it that thing and he lost his grip on the glass and it hit that tub and oh, everything no. shattered there was oh. like you know how it is when your parents you hear the background noise and then it's like dead silence like oh yes they heard footstep, it footstep 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 <laughs> then comes the question why were you doing this <laughs> right? no. Jared goes looks at me goes well at least tell me you got it <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny because the line was, you'll know it's time to turn the page when you hear the whip crack like, like this. this. Anybody who listens to the audiobook remember that. And that's what I said right before I whipped it and it broke. And I looked at Jason. I went, well, it, it cracked all right. <laughs> so now Jason's laughing at my joke with my mom busted. So it's the oh. worst possible scenario. Broke glass. Jason's laughing. I'm like, hey, you know. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, boy. Oh. That is bringing up some memories. That's funny. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Albert Ellis has been listening to our old podcast. We've told a short version of that story before. So we just, he's in the chat saying we basically filled in the holes of that story for yeah. him because we oh. didn't mention that in an old podcast, but we didn't go into as much detail. <laughs> yeah. I had bought a book or got a book from the library that's, that's like how to make different sound effects with just things around the house. So I, I thought we did a pretty good job. All you need is some material <laughs> yeah. and a, willing young brother to do what you want him to do and- <laughs> <laughs> it came, the final product was pretty good i'm not gonna- i thought so it was quality <laughs> and it's probably how the guys at skywalker sound got their start right doing things like that <laughs> you know Bert and all those guys yeah <laughs> probably probably oh i think this is a good point to hang up this part of the show <laughs> memories <laughs> That brings us to the end of this part of the show. Got a comment or question? Send us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Longbox Crusade Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram page. You can call us and leave a voicemail that we just might play on the show. Leave us a message at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. We'll be right back. With his army of evil on the march, Bird Degaton appears to have time on his side. But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and women known as... Justice Society of America! Hey there, my name is Al Girding, and I have a favor to ask. If you're a fan of the Justice Society of America or other DC Comics Heroes of the Golden Age, please listen to my new podcast, The All-Star Comics Review. Grab your reprints, DC Archive editions, or the original comics if you're lucky enough to own them, and let's explore the adventures of the JSA and other Golden Age greats. Follow along with the All-Star Comics Review podcast, now found on iTunes, allstarcomicsreview.blogspot.com, and Facebook. Welcome back from the break. Let's continue with the show. Now it's time to scan through the featured issue of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, number two, for the top ads that stood out to us, in a segment called Add It Up. up. All right, not a whole lot of actual ads here, fellas, exclusively house ads it looks like and essentially we've got uh, just a few choices number one the dark horse miniseries badlands dark horse does san diego an ad for the comic concrete an ad for the comic race of scorpions eddie current terminator and then a couple cards and other little things in there so we'll go around the horn here and We'll start off with Jason Lady. Which ad is your favorite? Probably gave this away earlier, but my favorite ad is the Terminator. Uh, I love the Terminator movies. I was totally into T2 when that came out. The sequels have been a mixed bag to me. 
but I love those first two. This particular ad brings back memories of a time when Dark Horse was just pumping out those series that was like Terminator versus RoboCop, Alien versus Predator, RoboCop versus Terminator versus Alien. There was just a ton of them. It was kind of the equivalent of like all the arguments at the lunch table with me and the guys. Like, you know, who would win a fight between Terminator and RoboCop? You know, and so Dark Horse was kind of like, we're going to show you. (laughs) We're going to settle this argument for you. Batman versus Predator. That was another one. That was a really good one. So, yeah, I'd say that's my favorite ad. Definitely eye-catching. Got the double-barreled gun coming at you. The red eyes of the Terminator staring you down. Just the fact it's Terminator. Hey, I, I got to go with it. I have no choice. <laughs> and art by Paul Gulacy of uh, Master Kung Fu fame. So that's not too shabby. Nice. So we got to vote for the Terminator. Pat, what about you? Which is your favorite ad? I did like the Terminator one. But what I found interesting is the race of scorpions. Here I am. I don't know what he says there, but no one knows. Not even yeah. him. Oh, okay. I'll just say you you grab mine. I just yeah. I've never heard of this. I never heard before, of it either. But the no, premise looked really cool in that picture just kind of looked baller great art style it. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i like it you know me sword sorcery you know D kind of stuff that, that kind of just jumped out to me on that Game so business. yep thank you <laughs> there are on that pat kind of looks like walt simonson a little bit maybe i don't see that part is it does say that it's a black and white by leo durancha i don't know i'm reading it's really small but what makes me sad is it says it's a black and white and i was just looking at that picture going the color really carries that picture. Like whoever the colorist is did a great job. Us so now, I'm sad that the book is a black and white. But I think it's Leo. It's small. I can't read it, Pat. But it's Leo Durancha. I think something. Dorano. Haven't heard of him, but it's a cool looking yeah. book. Get a Walt Simonson vibe from it. Yeah, totally see that, Jason. <laughs> kind of reminded me of Red Star a little bit. That vibe. So mm, never read it. Like, I've never read it. Everybody wants to go out and buy that, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Pat and I agreed on uh, on that ad, so I'll just go right to Jared and say, bring us home. Which is your favorite ad? Well, <laughs> let's talk about those cards that were included inside there. They included two trading cards, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. One yep. was Aliens, good-looking trading card. The other mm-hmm. was a trading card for a character called Erotica and Starstruck Sex Droid. <laughs> I was just like... My, my, my. It's a good drawing. It's not like, for those of you who are listening and can't see it, it's it's a pretty girl in a helmet. It's not Hold a on. Hold the phones. That's not what I have. I've got Terminator. Oh, you've got and Terminator Mer- and Trekker. Trekker. Oh, cool. Oh, so you got different ones just based different cards. on mixed them up. Okay. Well, the one that the copy I read had erotica and Starstruck sex droid. And the drawing isn't like overtly sexy. It's it's a, It's a head and shoulders shot. But I couldn't help but think to myself, yeah, no one's getting away with making that today. <laughs> so, uh, tip of the cat to you, Erotica and Starstruck Sex Droid. It's probably the last we ever, <laughs> ever saw of that character. Yep, that's not going to make it to today's <laughs> sensibilities. <laughs> but it was cool to see yours, Jason, with the Trekkers. You know, of course, it immediately makes me think of Trekker Talk with Darren yeah. and Ruth. Yeah. And uh, we've actually had Ron Randall on our channel before. I got to interview him for a Creator Spotlight episode. So it, that was neat just to see the Trekker pop up. All right. So do you have a comment on this? Let us know. Email contact at longboxcrusade.com or comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram page. 
you can call us and leave a voicemail that we just might play on the show. Leave us a message at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-L-BOX. Pick up the phone. Let's drive on. Now it's time for the segment we call Way Back in Time. Once again, it is time to take another revealing peek back into history. What famous date shall I set it to today, Mr. Peabody? May 1991. Got it. I don't think it's way back. Come on, guys. 1991. That's not that far back, is it? But. It's relative. It depends yeah, on who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a whole bunch of things right here. So let's just kind of go around the, the horn and, and folks can kind of pick one that jumps out to them. These are events that uh, occurred in May 1991. And again, we'll start with our guest, Jason Lady. President George H.W. Bush taking Queen Elizabeth to an Oakland A's Baltimore Royals game. That jumped out at me. Uh, my wife and I are baseball fans. Thought that was kind of cool that he uh, took the queen to a baseball game. I wonder how many she's been to. It's making me curious at this point. Other presidents took her to baseball games over the years. But yeah, that jumps out at me. I'm shocked that you didn't take the May 28th one. Oh, I really should have. That would have been on brand. <laughs> that would have been totally on brand if I had oh, on brand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. We'll make oh, everybody yeah. wonder what that was. No, go ahead and say it. You get that was two. mine. That's mine. Okay, go ahead, Pat. On May 28th, it's the debut album of Jodeci is released. And later on in Billboard, it becomes album of the year from 1992. And it is. Forever, my lady. I got it. I got the CD. So it's a good album. Jodeci. Love it. That's a song I've never had sung to me before. With this last oh. name, you get all the jokes. You get Dude Looks Like a Lady. You oh. get Lady in Red. You know, you get all of the Lady by Sticks. You know, all of them. This is a new one to me. So, <laughs> hey, <laughs> like this. Right. this one's going up for you, Jason. Forever, my lady. <laughs> Wherever you are out there, Jason. <laughs> yeah, lady, you know what. You don't want <laughs> all right, Pat's having too much fun. Jared, <laughs> go ahead and pick one. <laughs> On May 1st, A's outfielder Ricky Henderson steals 939 bases, making him the all-time Major League record holder for stolen bases. He stole that record from Mr. Lou Brock. Jason and I have something of a personal connection there because our grandmother worked at an elderly care facility in California for many years, and she took care of his mother. So we used to get a lot of cool Ricky Henderson swag because she'd get Ricky Henderson swag from him to give to us. So it was really cool. We were big Ricky Henderson fans due to that connection. So uh, apparently on May 1st was the day he broke that record, 1991. All right. Well, I'm going to keep the baseball theme going because on May 1st, Texas Rangers starter Nolan Ryan pitches the Major League Baseball record of his seventh no-hitter, beating Toronto 3 to nothing at the age of 44. He is the oldest pitcher to ever throw a no-hitter. So lots of baseball stuff going on. Yeah, it was. Yeah, was a- the uh, the third bullet, the final episode of Dallas was in 1991. I had no idea that show was on that long. Holy cow. <laughs> I associate that with the early 80s at my grandma's house. <laughs> I didn't know it was on that long. <laughs> I'm surprised no one took May 14th. 
the world's <laughs> largest burrito. I was looking at that created. one. <laughs> that wasn't the date that Indiana Jones climbed down that. <laughs> the <gym>. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what happened after that. Uh, 1,126 yeah. <laughs> pounds of burrito. It's a lot of burrito. Oh, it's wow. a lot of burrito. You need a lot of help to eat that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about movies. We got the top three movies for May 1991. And uh, I'll go ahead and let Jason Lady kick us off with the number three movie. Number three is uh, Thelma and Louise, an action movie, a gross about $45 million. Is it an action movie? <laughs> is it? Is it? That's what it said. Yeah. <laughs> I would put that in the drama category. Say, yeah. is, it, is it gonna make action film face off? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> At any rate, when we get to like way down the line, we're running out of movies. There's <laughs> other Gina Davis movies that would qualify, right? Oh, long, definitely. Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, yeah, Long Kiss Goodnight is a great one. Great movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was about to say we may need to skip Pat to give Jared. Number two. I'll take number one. I'll take number one. Pat, go go ahead and bring us in with number two. All right. Well, coming in at number two is the movie. Some people forget, but I always remember because I always want to know, what about Bob? Is this some kind of radical new therapy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jared, it's one of our favorites. This one will make it to action film face off at some point in time. (laughs) Go ahead. Lay it out. Coming in at number one is a thriller suspense film that made $152 million. And back in 1991, that's like $6 billion today. It was Backdraft, directed by Ron Howard and starring like everybody. Everybody. <laughs> and man, Backdraft to this day, to this day, is one of my favorite films. It is so well made. And uh, I mean, it's got Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. One and of the Baldwins. Uh, yeah. One of the Baldwins. It's got one of the Sutherlands. <laughs> it's got a De Niro. It's got it, Scott Glenn. Scott, it's got Scott Glenn. Yeah. Killing firefighters, bull. But man, to this day, I will not even front the moment where Kurt Russell says, look at him. That's my brother. God damn it. Man, mm-hmm. that part gets me every time, man. Right in the heart. Yeah. I yeah, cry a little like, bit. Yeah. He's laying there mortally wounded. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, sorry. Spoiler mm, alert. A, right, let's <laughs> on. I haven't seen that one in ages. I oh, man. It hits, me in, it hits me in the heart every time. Let's talk about some music. What's the number three song, Jason? I Like the Way, The Kissing Game by High Five is number three. God, I cannot remember that song. Pat, can you sing some for me? <laughs> you know, I didn't have time because of my crusade that I was on. I didn't have time to listen to this one, so I, I'm, I probably heard this one, but I just, man. I know. I feel the same way. Like I, I know, five. I it's like, like I a, know it, but I, it's eluding yeah. me. It's I a feel like I band. should know it. Yeah, yeah, I should know that. I like the way. Hmm. I don't know it either, but I know number two. So why don't we? Uh, why don't you lay that one on us, there, Pat? All right. Well, coming in at number two is a good '80s band, still oh, yeah. rocking it in the early '90s with rock set with the song Joyride. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the jewelry round. Yeah. One of my favorites, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the look is another one by them. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Must have been love, but it's over now. Mm-hmm. Good ballad. And Jared, who does number two work for? <laughs> number two works for number one, which is Amy Grant singing Baby Baby. I'm not going to keep singing because I'll do it so well we'll get flagged, but I know the song. Don't get us flagged. <laughs> I know the song. That Amy Grant impersonation is well known. Man, that Amy Grant, like, burst on the scene in 91 man like 
it was everywhere. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. escape any Amy Grant in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Well, that brings us to the end of this part of the show. Got a comment or question? Send us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com. You can also follow and leave a comment on Twitter at Longbox Crusade. We'll be right back. Yo, Joe! Yo, come in, Aaron Moss. Codename Head. I have an important mission for you, son. I need you to podcast about G.I. Joe, a real American hero. The comic book series previously published for Marvel Comics, currently being paid out by IDW. Um, which issues, uh, General Hawk? Issues? What, son? You're going to cover the entire run, plus the yearbooks, special missions, order battle, everything, along with the cartoon. Wowzer, sir. That's a mighty large mission. That's why I'm assigning you several other Joes as they're available to help. And uh, how do I report my findings? Monthly at our main site, gijoe.headspeaks.com, on iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Submit your report under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Uh, anything else, sir? You can get further information on the social medias, Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, all under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismiss, soldier. Yep. Yes, sir. And now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the feedback part of the show where we share your comments, emails, questions, likes, and shares in a segment called Crusader Comments. We are thrilled to kick off these comments with special shout-outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content, and so much more. So these are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. We start with Angelica Wolf. Alburn Elvis, live in the chat. Bill Deer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Here's to you, Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins, Battle Wagon. Gerald Green. Another Jason. Jason Keene. That makes three. It's a hat trick of Jasons today. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Jazzy Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright. Mark Ross. Monstrous Mark Hatherley. Maxwell Traver, also in the chat. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick of Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Captain Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. Steve Croden. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Please keep in mind that we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. Still, no worries. Just let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and we will get it straightened out. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Longbox Crusade. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get uh, some access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Hmm? Pat, how much access do they get? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked, because it's just not some. Some people may think a variable plethora of some, but no, <laughs> let me tell you, you are going to get all the access. I mean, all the access. So much <laughs> access, 
I got access to the left. I got access to the left. I got so much access. Some people may say you get a lot of access. Would you say you have excess access? I could. Yes, All I right. do. Can you All assess right. the excess access? <laughs> All right. I think you all get the point. Come check it out. Don't have any extra scratch lying around, but still want to help us out here at LBC headquarters. Please take a moment to write a review on iTunes for this podcast. Even if you just want to keep it short with just star ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show and we will share your review on the next show. Now let's move into some social media likes, shares, and retweets from... Episode 32, which was Battle Chasers number one from April 1998. We start off with Aaron Head Moss, Clinton Robinson, Dadu Toby. <laughs> Is that Dadu? I guess. <laughs> Toby. Toby. That you, that you, Toby? <laughs> That's what we're going to go with. That you, Toby? Berkshire. <laughs> Days of High Adventure podcast. Fan Film Fridays podcast. Gene Hendricks. Glenn Peterman. James. Ken Solo. Paul Barant. Rick Heineken. Roundhouse Ruth Sutherland. Sean Jackson. It's just Sean, if you're nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, it's my turn. You're too busy making the joke. (laughs) No, I'm too busy. Like, that was a good one. You got to make bits, but also (laughs) keep your place in line. (laughs) That's a good one. I'm so proud of that one, too. Like, nobody did it. I'm like, it's my opening. It's all mine. Oh, the Tome of Reckoning. Timmy, Tim Price, come on down. Unpacking the power of the power pack. And the power pack don't stop. And you can call us and leave a voicemail that we just might play on the show. Leave us a message at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. One last time, fellas. Pick up, Pick up the phone. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for the likes, shares, follows, and comments. We appreciate your friendship and help in spreading the word about this podcast. And that's the show. Be sure to check out the website, longboxcrusade.com, where posts will be made for journaling this crusade. I would like to thank Jason Lady, Jared, myself, got to thank myself, and Pat for joining me on this episode. Before we go... Let's find out where the listeners can find us on the internet. Jason, where can they find you? I am the author of now three uh, books for middle grade readers. The latest one is coming out in August 18th. It's called Time Problems. The two previous books are Monster Problems and Super Problems. You can learn more about me and my books at www.jasonrlady.com. I'm on Twitter as Jason R. Lady. I'm on Facebook as Jason R. Lady Author. I'm on Instagram as Jason R. Lady Author. These books are about kids who are in a series of books called The Magic Pen Adventures. Each one stars a different kid that gets a magic pen that brings to life everything they draw. And shenanigans and wacky happenings ensue after that. So if you have kids that are in the middle grade age or you're a kid at heart, uh, please check my books out. Thank you, Jason. And I'm kicking myself because I'm finishing up the show and I never said ladies first the whole time. Like, oh, go my God. said ladies first the whole time. And I was first for all those things. All those yeah. Things. Oh, missed okay. an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, man. That was Take it right from the there. top. Let's start over. Take it back to the top. <laughs> We're going to just say it. We'll edit it in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can just okay, call man? him. You can just call him lady if you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work the second. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's too. You're wearing it too thin. You're chewing this gum too long. The flavor's gone. Jared, where can they find you? 
I am at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It is all at Yard Sale Artist. Of course, you can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. You know, it, we talked a lot about Indiana Jones today. So if you need an Indiana Jones or a Harrison Ford as Han Solo book page sketch, those are available on my website, www.theyardsaleartist.com. Pat, where can they find you? I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And you can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter and at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to interact with us via live chat, be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us on our next episode of Doing It Live stream over on YouTube. We do them on the second Sunday of every month, and we always start at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. You can get signed up for that by looking up Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel and click the bell so you'll get reminder notifications for when we go live. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Longbox Crusade. Got a comment or a question? Email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or leave a comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page at Longbox Crusade. Until next time, take care. And please join us for the next episode as we continue on the crusade to read them all. The intro music is provided by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You won't regret it. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes. Pat, we owe you an apology. You know, one of the one of the listeners saved you. They know what shiplap is, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, Kathy, we'll talk later. Well, you have to usually you got to pay extra for that, and you go to kind of a private room. And- yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, right, right. Kathy knows you know. what's good, what looks good. You know, it's sailors get it half off though. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's called shipwreck. <laughs> <laughs> the tomb of reckoning. I think it's a tome of reckoning. Oh, I think you know what? Yeah, no, the tome is I- what you get on a phone. It's like you get that's the dial tone. tome. That's a tone. This is like a book. Oh. Like a dusty tome, a witty tome. You want to do it again and do it right, Pat? (laughs) (laughs) On August 18th, I got a book coming out called Time Problems. I have two other books. One's called Monster Problems. One's called Super Problems. I used that same bit when we recorded with Jason on another show, so I wanted to bring it back. Anyways, of course, I am... Your bits are funny. (laughs) And I try to bring something back. Uh, bits and uh, bits and bits, bits, and, bits no. and I'm trying to do a show here, Pat. <laughs> Hang on before you go, Pat. And people need to know that in the behind the scenes and screen stream yard, you know, you have all the pictures and mm-hmm. they're listed with a label. And I called that one indie pimp because I knew I was going to pimp myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. I know that won't make That's the cut because no. podcast listeners, that will make no sense to them whatsoever. Indie pimp. <laughs> indie pimp. Indie pimp. Pick up the pig. I'll just see like.
Instead of the fedora, he's got like that pimp hat. You know, <laughs> <laughs> feather coming out of it. <laughs> yeah, he's a plume, like a big feather plume coming out. Yeah, Birch, fur trench coat instead of a leather jacket. Yeah. I want that. I want that. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, Pimp Destro, but it'd be Indie Pimp. <laughs> but with Indiana Jones. Yeah. The Indie Superfly crossover. Yeah. Didn't know that we needed it. Indiana Jones. <laughs> We're just talking about Indie. Yeah. <laughs> I can dig it. <laughs> Oh, he literally does. <laughs> yeah, right. I derailed us. I derailed us, but now I'm going to derail us even more because <laughs> I want our people who are watching live to realize that we first started making Law and Fox episodes. It was very common for them to be about three hours of raw recording. We're only at 90 minutes. Right yeah. We're, this is us better. <laughs> we are tightened up. <laughs> Remember that five dollar? You, you were all bearing witness. This is not me. <laughs> I get blamed all the time. Jason was wired me. tight today, man. We ruined it. 